John chapter 20, starting in verse 27. And then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Redeeming the Time. Well, guys, I'm back here alone in the closet, not on the phone with anybody. I'm going to be starting a solo study on this podcast, so it's probably going to be alternating between uh, episodes with me and episodes with somebody else. This series, okay, is going to be a dive into the book of John, but we're not going to go in order. We're going to go really sporadically if you're looking at the chronology of it. What we are going to be looking at is themes that trace throughout the entire thing, okay? So... John, it turns out, has a lot of design patterns. Do you remember the design patterns episode that I did with Justin? Okay. I traced out roughly the other day eight different design patterns throughout John. And I'll probably be refining that a little, but I'm probably going to do an episode on about each of these design patterns. And the coolest thing about them is that they all focus into one single point. You see, the book of John is wrestling with who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? I mean, I think we all kind of have like a Sunday school answer for that, but let's look at this in the way that John has presented it to us, which is some of the finest literature, maybe the finest literature that has ever been on this planet is the book of John. So let's take a start. I know I just said we're not going to do this in chronological order, but uh, we are going to start in John chapter 1. We're going to start with this introduction so that we can kind of get an idea of what John is trying to do here. So John chapter 1 has one of the most, I mean, I think this is the best introduction that has ever existed in any form of literature. Listen to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay, so this intro, ver- uh, intro passage of about five verses. In the beginning, light and darkness, this is a creation narrative. John is calling back to the beginning of the Torah, the beginning of his book, parallels the beginning of the book of Genesis. He's talking about creation, guys. And yet he's talking about it with this like different spin. Uh, you recall Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now he's saying in the beginning was the word, and the word was there in the same sequence. It's almost like uh, going back to the same set uh, in a movie. Like we've seen this one set only once before. It's this view from space, this darkness, and the word is there with God all along, apparently. Maybe a flashback. Maybe that's the best way to talk about it. You know on a TV show, 
when they go to like a flashback and they show it from like a different camera angle or from a different character's perspective, like time travel or something. Uh, Harry Potter does it when he's on the lake and the, um, the Dementors are there and he sees himself from earlier, but now we know that he's the one who cast the Patronus. Okay. So for all of you who know Harry Potter, that's what's going on here. We've seen this scene before. We've seen creation. Now we're seeing it from a slightly different angle, from another perspective. And this character that we're seeing there with God is called the Word. And he's clearly made out to be divine in this passage. He's part of creation. He's part of the same God that everyone before John has worshipped in this religious line. Not everyone, but everyone who did Judaism, okay? And then the next string of passages talks about a different character. It completely switches from the word, and now we're talking about John. This is not the same John who wrote the book. This is John the Baptist that John is writing about. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Or a different phrasing is, that was the true light which coming into the world gives light to every man. Okay, so we're still kind of vague here. What's going on here? Let's focus on John for a second, though. John is pretty concrete. <laughs> we can talk about him just using his regular, plain old human name, John. John the Baptist, okay? But John is placing John the Baptist into this part of the story because, again, he's trying to get us to think about it. He's setting the stage for his story. So John is clearly a part of this story about the Word. Except now we're calling the Word the Light. I'm not going to talk a lot about that now. That's going to come up uh, in a later episode. But this is very interesting that we're going by different names here. Okay, so then John kind of describes the light, starting in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in this passage, it's kind of, it, it talks a little bit about irony, see? He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Huh. He came to his own domain, and his people did not receive him. Okay? That sucks. <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. Why didn't his people receive him? What's, what's about to happen in this story, okay? He's talking about things that we're going to read about. This isn't a description of events that already happened. He's giving us a preview, and just a taste. And now we're wondering... Well, why didn't his people receive him? The, the obvious statement coming out of this passage is that his people should receive him, but they didn't. But, here's what's really important. Those that did receive him, they got the right to become children of God, okay? Now we found our stake in reading this story. What is John trying to show us? That there's this word, this light, this being that gives us the ability to be the children of God. And he was rejected, but like we already know from the end of John's story, John wants us to be following this character. What is this character going to do? I don't know, but having the opportunity to become a child of God, that sounds uh, pretty awesome. Let's read more about this story, okay? John starts giving us more details. We're getting closer to John actually telling his story. All right, starting in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Notice how he's inserted himself into the story there. We beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, 
full of grace and truth. And John bore witness of him, and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, and he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. So the word became flesh. Okay, so this is a person we're talking about in this story. All that stuff we've been reading wasn't. He was divine, and now he's flesh and still divine. Interesting. So he's a character in our story, and he's very mysterious, even though we've been given some pretty good details here. And I think we're supposed to follow what this character does, what the word does. And John is, again, part of this story. And he came to testify about the word, which is why in this very introduction we see a testimony from John. And now the word, of course, is given two more names. Now he's called the only begotten of the father. I swear I've heard that before, but I can't seem to remember where. It's actually in John. We're going to get there later. But he also gets the name of a person, Jesus Christ. So this is pretty much the coolest introduction that has ever existed. It really makes massive theological claims. It, it binds them to well-known, respected, authoritative religious literature that they already had. Okay, everyone who read this is going to see Genesis 1. If you have any experience in the Bible, you realize John is clearly alluding to Genesis 1 with this passage. And then it, it presents this whole thing wrapped up in a package of, like, a mystery. Like, it, it actually leaves you curious and wondering. Like, I grew up in church. I read this thing, and I'm wondering, who is this guy? All right, and I think that's what I'm going to call this series of the podcast. Who is this guy? It's going to come up in every single episode, and we're going to start with a verse right before, okay? 18 is the last verse in that part of the passage before John actually begins his story. Verse 17, though, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, okay? Moses. John has now brought Moses into this story. It's a, it's a contrast. Like, Moses did something special, but like, something even more special is coming from this character that we're going to follow, this Jesus Christ. Now, so that we can truly understand what John is really trying to tap into here, we need to understand what he's saying about Moses and the law. When we talk about Moses, there are two big things that you have to understand about him. First of all is that Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and then into freedom, okay? But we're not going to talk a lot about that in this episode. We're going to bring that up later. For now, we're going to focus on the second part of what Moses did. Moses was like the messenger that carried the law from God to the people, okay? Moses kind of gave the law, which... The terminology is usually that Moses did. It didn't come from him, but he gave it. The law truly came from God through Moses. And the law is so massive, okay? It takes up most of what we call the Pentateuch, okay? The first five books in the Bible, it's Greek for five books, Pentateuch. It's a terrible name. In Hebrew, it's called Torah, which actually describes what it is. And so the summary word that the Jews use to describe that book is Torah or 
commandment. It means law or commandment. You'll see it translated those two ways. So the first five books of the Bible are literally just called commandment because of how many laws and commandments there are. That's how seriously huge this thing is, all right? It's made up of about 613 commandments. Holy cow. And this was like the foundation of the Jewish faith. It dictated and still dictates much of what goes on in, in Judaism. I believe up until about the time of the Babylonian exile, even though events that are recorded in scripture now are scripture, they didn't have those as scripture until after the exile. So like everything about, well, it would have been probably Joshua through like Chronicles, okay? As soon as things uh, start happening after Moses, most of that is recorded, but then not part of scripture until the Babylonian exile or just after it when things started to get collected and they put the Psalms together. And I believe that's when the Chronicler existed. Don't quote me on that. Uh, the Chronicler uh, put together Chronicles based off of First and Second Kings and Samuel and all those accounts. So up until then, the only scripture they had was the Torah, was the commandment. So it's almost like everything else is secondary. It's not, it's just as much from God, we believe, but the Torah really is the foundation of this, the commandment, and that is what is referred to as the Law of Moses. But the Law of Moses, which included the Ten Commandments and like a bunch of other stuff, is kind of like flawed. Not flawed from God, okay? The law itself is perfect, but it didn't do a perfect job because it was working on imperfect people. You see, the law fails to fulfill the Exodus 6 promise of restoration, okay? Now, to do that, we need to read Exodus 6 so that we know what I'm talking about here. Exodus 6, verse 6. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay, This is a four-step promise to get the people from slavery in Egypt to unity with him in the promised land in, in those four steps, okay? But unity didn't really happen, at least not as nicely as it should have. There was a temple, there was worship, there was good people, but there, there were bad people too. And the law didn't fix it. It really didn't. A, a good way to understand the, the failure of the law is to go to the book of Romans, okay? So Paul talks about it. This is after Jesus has lived. Paul is talking about his relationship to the law, and this is what he says. This is Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. And so that sin, 
through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Okay, so Paul is talking about how sin took advantage of the law. How could anything be wrong if there's there's no standard? Then there's the standard. That's what the law was. It was never a rescue plan. It was a standard that points out the fact that we are not God. We can't live up to it. It's simply not possible. And that's the flaw of the law of Moses, is that we can't just become holy. It, it doesn't make people holy. That's what's wrong with the law of Moses. So, if John 1.17 says that the law came from Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus, what does he mean? Who is this Jesus that brings grace and truth? Well, it's time to check that out. We're going to do that by reading John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, okay? This is an account in the middle of Jesus' ministry where he's in the temple teaching, and the Pharisees bring in someone who had been caught in adultery is the woman uh, who knows where the man is, but the woman is here for some reason. And they ask Jesus a trap question. They ask, the law says we should do this. What do you say? And so the trap is that Jesus has two answers. He either says to ignore the law or he says to ignore Roman law because people couldn't, even though Religiously, they were supposed to be putting these people to death. They couldn't do it without the Roman government's approval. So he really didn't have a, any good thing to say, right? Okay, they, they got him speechless on this one, right? Now, let's pick it up in verse 5. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such people should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Okay, we've got to pause right there. So this is just kind of a little side note. I didn't put it in my notes, but it's a note uh, in my Bible. This is really weird. Why did he stoop down and write? And it left me so curious. What was he writing? And there are some theories. And the best one is that he's referring to Jeremiah seventeen thirteen. okay? Maybe he wasn't writing it out, but he was at least referencing it by acting it out. So Jeremiah 17.13 talks about uh, living waters, which, by the way, was the most recent thing that Jesus has said before this interaction, was, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's in chapter 7, verse 38. That's the last thing Jesus said until what he's about to say. So, living water, hmm, sounds like Jeremiah 17.13. Writing in the ground, again, sounds like Jeremiah 17.13. So, check that out. But I'm not going to linger there. So, when they continued asking him, as Jesus is, like, pretending that he didn't hear them, they continued asking him, he raised up from the ground, and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard him say this, being convicted by their conscience, went out, one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are these accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. 
Interesting. Interesting. So Jesus gives an epic answer there, okay? So, not quite speechless. He shuts these people down. He says, if you have not sinned, then you get the right to stone her. And of course, everyone left because no one was going to do that. No one was going to make that claim. Genius. And the end result is that the woman is saved, okay? Now remember, the perspective that we're looking at this passage from, Jesus is the source of grace and of truth, all right? So here's the failure of the law. If the law was to be truly and perfectly carried out, everybody would be dead, okay? And Jesus is clearly making that point here. He says numerous times, you people don't follow this law. We'll talk about that some more tomorrow. Not tomorrow. We'll talk about that some more on the next episode uh, when we're going to talk more about Moses. But the failure of the law here is that these people are seeking justice and superiority and using the law to their advantage when in reality they're just as sinful as the next person. And so, Jesus outlines the need for a new system, okay? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, okay? Grace. Jesus outlines the need for a new system, proving John's point in John chapter 1 by being the source of grace and truth, a critical look at the law. The law can't do it. The law can't make you holy. Jesus brings grace. And so this begins our study. Who is this guy? Well, I'll tell you what he is primarily. Not first and foremost, but just the first thing that we're looking at. He is the source of grace and truth. All right, folks, I'm here with a post-recorded outro. So I just kind of wanted to stop and explain real quick just what this study is going to be. So tune in next week, and what you're going to find is another episode on the Jesus connection to Moses in the book of John. This episode was kind of an introduction. Next episode, things start to get crazy, like really crazy. I'm going to show you stuff about the Bible that you have never thought of before. Uh, that I've never thought of before, that I've never even found. I haven't found people who have talked about this. So uh, this is going to be pretty exciting. So next Friday, you're going to see another episode about Jesus and Moses, okay? In the meantime, be sure to be checking out our social media, of course, and tell your friends, okay? Tell your friends that the craziest John study of all time is about to go down at redeemingthetime.online and all of its affiliate podcasting services. So be sure to check us out, and I'll be back either with a new John study next week or with a different episode. We might alternate between this series and the ongoing discussions with other people. So either way, I will see you guys in the next episode next Friday.